Welcome to the These Go to 11 podcast. We have a great show for you tonight. As always, Greg Dutcher is here joining us. Say hi, Greg. Hey. And we have a special guest tonight, Steve Hartland. Steve, say hi. Hey, I'm happy to be special. Thank you. Yeah, he, <laughs> Steve, I'd like to say you are special. Yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> some people tell me. Yes, very special. <laughs> Ernest Angley, who we referenced last week, <laughs> would say that Steve is spatial. Uh, spatial. Spatial. Yes. Spatial to God. And the more money you send... Did the more spatial you become. We did. Yeah, we did. We, we might come back to that. <laughs> when we come to the personality cult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, we will. I'll hit, I'll hit Ernest. Yeah. Uh, so tonight um, on the show, we're going to be discussing legalism and holiness, Christian celebrity worship, and formal education in our society. But before we do that, Steve, why don't you just go ahead um, after you swallow that run there and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, um well, I, I'm a pastor at Trinity Church in Joppa, Maryland, not too far from here. Absolutely love the place and love the people. And uh, Debbie and I are going to celebrate our 40th anniversary. Wow, dude. Can you believe that? Wow. That's pretty sweet. So uh, what are the kind of stuff do you want to know? Kids. Yeah, four sons, all grown, three of them married, one of them maybe getting married soon. Wow. Ten grandchildren. Wow. I can't believe it. We're, like, taking over. We have a tribe. Um yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. No, that's great. Um, what, what do you enjoy doing? Hobbies, things like that? Yeah. Um, Debbie and I are blessed to have a Harley. So nice. It's sitting in the garage now on a battery tender. Just right, sitting, right. You know, but uh, can't wait for some warm weather, and we really love riding together. She rides with me. Wow. Which I can't imagine. I could not ride on the back of a bike. <laughs> wow. You know, i got to have my hands on control. Yep. But uh, I love riding with her. So oh, that's we great. That. We play with our grandchildren. We, I don't know what else we we're both really in the music. Oh, nice. And you might be surprised. Am I allowed to say this? Please. We dance a lot. Wow, that's awesome. She is an amazing dancer. I wow. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so Greg, what about you? Does Lisa ride on the back of your Harley? She does, man. She does. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm more of a uh, Kawasaki guy, you know. Is, is, is that a motorcycle? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, good. So I'm more <laughs> of that. No, but uh, Steve, the very first one we had a couple of weeks ago, it was just me and Nathan talking, introduced you. Am I right, Nathan? You've seen him now. Oh, yeah. Hippest of the guests. Yeah. Because you've met yeah. Dave Shive. Very unhip. Yeah. <laughs> Very unhip. We'll see him in a couple weeks. Uh, I think the 9th of March yeah. he'll be on. Uh, but, um, yeah, Matt Smith thought he was the hippest. And then you're here, Steve. Yeah. This dude, if you could see him in the studio, our impression. And, Steve, is this not an impressive studio? <laughs> Oh, it's the best I've ever been. To. It's the only one I've ever been. In. It is, as we say, cutting edge. But Steve, if you if this was a vodcast, you would think this guy is like forty, maybe. Oh yeah. And yeah. I'm not going to tell you his exact age. It's somewhere between fifty nine and sixty one. But Steve is a hip guy. So yeah, yeah. No, Lisa has not ridden on the back of uh, uh, a motorcycle yet. But Steve might inspire me. You can borrow it, dude. I would love to. Yeah. Man, I, I would love to ride a motorcycle. I think I've I've got the right look. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Go get your license and borrow it. Okay. Yeah. You heard it. Nathan. There you go. Yeah. It's, a witness, it's, it's on air. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, what? Two or three witnesses. I That's right. Two. It, it, and every word be confirmed. That's yeah, right. And we've got two or three listeners. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a perfect setup. Man. We're, we're ready, ready to go. Yes. Uh, so tonight's topic we're uh, we're discussing um, first legalism and holiness. And um, Steve Gregg was telling me that you've had actually you know really firsthand experience with uh, this. Uh, with being um, a legalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and so we just uh, we want to talk about where's where's the line. I mean, you know, we we want to make sure that we are being holy because Christ commands us to be holy, but we also make want to make sure we're not nitpicking on every rules. So. Um, as we start getting into this conversation, I think it's important that we establish um, a, a clear definition of what legalism is. Um, and so, Greg, if you want to just establish for us that clear definition, because, you know, teaching, and we've all taught before, you hear students say things all the time like, well, the rules are legalistic. Right. Um, and, and I want to be fair, because as a teacher, you know, you live in community and you live in a structure where, where rules need to be in place sure. for everyone, and whether that's a uniform or a dress code, whatever it might be. Um, those things can get often confused with legalism. Um, so, Greg, can you establish for us what is a what, what are we working with when we when we talk about legalism? I would say, Nathan, anybody who doesn't agree with me is a legalist. <laughs> is, that, is that a legalistic definition of legalism? It's a great question, Nathan. I actually wish I'd written something down. Um, I, I will say this. I heard a guy say this years ago. This might be a more, more of an illustration of legalism than a you know, sort of a conceptual definition, but I heard somebody say legalism is when, um, to use a college uh, classroom reference, is when you make your elective everybody else's requirement. You know, so an example I could give of that, um, my former church in uh, Catonsville that I was at years ago with uh, Dave Scheib, we had one family, very you know, strong family. They homeschooled. They kind of did the whole nine yards. They happened to not have a television. I never heard the father ever criticize anybody for having a television. Mm-hmm. But over time, there were families that wanted to be like this family who I'll call the Joneses. You know, they, they really weren't, but... Uh, they, um, they, they, that was just their standard. They didn't want their kids watching TV. That's fine. They had their reasons. Other families started to ditch their TVs. And very quickly, we learned in our own church culture, there were sort of the holy non-TV families. And the, oh, mm-hmm. you, you have a TV, Steve? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I mean, I tell me about suspect. that. Yeah. Yes. All of a sudden, there's sort of a question mark about you. So uh, I, I like that. It's... Um, it, it, it keeps the idea that we are in a relationship with God, and in our relationship with God, there are things that we kind of bring to Him and say, Lord, I, I want to do this. Am I right to do this? Is my conscience at peace with this? Um, very quickly, though, uh, things, uh, and, and again, as I said last week, I'm convinced Christians love all of us to live by a code. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. Um, so that would be my working definition for now. Okay. Yeah. So, so based on that, Steve, what, are, what has been your experiences? And how, I mean, how, how would you um, talk to somebody who is, who is becoming legalistic in your church with, with things? I wish I could say I've never had to have that conversation. But, uh, <laughs> I've been a legalist, for sure. Mm-hmm. I can look back and see ways of, wow, I have been a legalist. And I can see how others have been. So I'm pretty, I'm, uh, I have a keen sense to uh, like sniff out the legalism, I think. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm missing some, but uh, I like your definition, Greg. I love it. I think uh, a more formal statement of the same thing might be legalism is making making laws where God hasn't. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or enforcing my laws as if they were God's laws. Not that an institution like a Christian school can't say we have a dress code, mm-hmm. but if they say this dress code is the biblical dress code, right. now they've made it equal to God's law, right. there's a problem. But they're free to have dress codes mm-hmm. and, and whatever they want. But often what legalism is, is um, 
is, is making an application, an application of God's word equal to God's word. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, the TV thing. Somebody probably said, well, let's, let's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's not be like the world. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. The world has TVs. The world's into entertainment. And the world's yeah. sucking it in. And TV's discipling America. And Oprah's discipling America. And yeah. Let's not allow that into our home. So they made an application of a biblical, biblical principle. Yep. The principle mm-hmm. is don't be like the world, but be transformed. They said the way we'll do that is we won't have a TV. Fine. Fine. But as soon as they say, and then you shouldn't either because this is God's will. Yeah. That's legalism. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And and I've run into this in so many ways, and I've run into it so many times, and I've been guilty of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd like to, at this point, chime in with a personal illustration of legalism. Not for me, since I've never been a legalist. But, but Steve. <laughs> no, <laughs> Actually, Steve, you, I don't know if you remember telling me this. We were at our old Abingdon uh-oh, Starbucks. Uh-oh. And, dude, this stayed with me because I've done things. I, I will share one about myself in a minute. But you, I remember. I'll just set you up if this is enough. Um, do you remember the thing about the, the shirt that you used to say? I think you told me you would say this sometimes even from the pulpit that you should have a best shirt. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Riff on that, man. Talk well, about that. It was just the, the movement of which I was a part. Yes. Uh, believe that you should offer God your best. Well, that sounds good. Sure. So you should show up at church in your best, which I don't know what that means. Does that mean I should have a tuxedo and I need right. to wear that to church? <laughs> right. You know, what right. is my best? But, uh, you know, you're, you're not offering him your best, your suspect, if you don't show up in your best clothes. Yes. So you got to have your best shirt. And if you're going to do that, yeah, you're going to boil it down. I have one I shirt. I have one tie. That's... So um, I, I've just seen people do this in so many ways. I've seen church organizations or denominations do it. For example, um, I know of a group of churches. Bless them. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll be in heaven. We'll get it all sorted out then. But... Uh, uh, they're very critical of me and of our church as pastors because they say we're not exercising responsible pastoral care for the people. And, and their mind is they look at Scripture and see, well, pastors you know, take care of the sheep. And uh, the way they've arranged to take care of their sheep is once a year they visit in every home mm-hmm. of all their members. And uh, we don't do that. Instead, we're like once a month. We contact them via media or something and say, how sure. are you guys doing? Can we pray for you? Do you have any needs? Do you need to see somebody? Which we think is much better. Right. More. But anyway, they say if you're not visiting them in their home once a month, you are not exercising responsible pastoral care. Wow. It's it's making their application of a biblical principle yeah. equal to God's law, equal to the principle. Yeah. Because really, as soon as you ask the question... Okay, I, I'm open to your argument. Uh, wh- where do you find that in Scripture? Yeah. Wh- where is a pastor to go once a month into somebody's home? Bring um, your Bible, man. Show me in the Bible. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Dave Shive, who will be here in a couple of weeks, told me this, and I know you know him, um, yep. Steve, back. from um, uh, way back. He said when he was in Hereford uh, at his first church, there was uh, a woman who I think was a shut-in, I believe, and uh, when David got there, a very administrative guy, he arranged for different members of the church to visit her and, you know, take her meals and, and that sort of thing. Um, she was very distraught because her take was, I've had nine or ten people from the church visit me, but the pastor never came, uh, uh-huh. which I think he called like holy man syndrome, <laughs> that ministry isn't authentic until the pastor puts his mater on it by his presence. Uh, you know, and, and I realize people have all sorts of expectations based on maybe previous churches they've been in, previous mm-hmm. pastors that they've been yeah. under. Uh, but it's the same principle. You know, it's, it's I'm taking something that I liked that meant a lot to me, similar to, you know, when you had a hymn and you sang it this way for 30 years, you don't change the tune of that because 
you know, Third Corinthians 14 says not to do that. Um, you know, and it's, yeah, we, we encounter it all the time. Um, and, and I would say, Steve, just since you shared your shirt illustration, um, I think I've shared this before. I've probably told you, Nathan, when I was in college uh, at Towson, freshman year, fall semester, every time there was a, a young uh, counterpart of mine named Josh. He was a business major. He was a kid from New Jersey. Uh, nominal Jewish kid, you know, who would say he would uh, go to synagogue on the big kind of high holy days, kind of a, the Christmas and Easter equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in Campus Crusade at the time. I think it's now called Crew. And uh, we met every Thursday night. And I invited him by sophomore year because every fall we had one general requirement class together, like all through all, all four years. It seemed providential. Uh, he came three or four times to the Thursday night main event that we had, sort of a college youth group. Uh, graduation week, he invited me. Uh, there was a place in Cockeysville called Christopher's uh, at the time, and it, uh, they sort of had a college happy hour, and he invited me to go. At that time, I believe that uh, – I, I don't know if then I would have said drinking was wrong, social drinking, but it's something to be avoided because it has so many worldly associations. So I didn't go. And I told him I wouldn't go, and I sort of balked, and I hemmed and hauled. You're going to think I'm making this up because it sounds like something out of a cheesy pastoral textbook. He literally, literally said to me, he goes, oh, okay, Greg, I got it. So I can come into your world, but you can't come into mine. Wow. And I never forgot that. And I've lost touch with Josh. I've tried to find him on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, and I I haven't been able to. Um, I would say this. I mean, for for one thing, even with my M.O. at that point, being a non-social drinking person at the time, I mean, I could have gone and had a Coke yeah, and just hung out with a dude. Yeah. Hang out there. Yeah, just had a conversation. So the, the point isn't, oh, you have to adopt this liberty that I feel that I have. The point is that we don't want to get so boxed in by these regulations and these rules that we, you know, we, we, we become ineffective. Yeah. And for him to actually say that was very astute because it was true. I did want him to come into my world, but I wasn't about to go into his. And when we think of the nature of ministry as incarnational, you know, which I know can be an overused term, can be mm-hmm. a little bit cliche, but but the heart of it is Jesus came and he dwelt among us, yeah, and he hung out with uh, sinners. And I remember you said to me one time, Steve, that, and I never quite thought of it like this. You said, "It's interesting that when people would see Jesus walk across the street, one of these sinners and tax gatherers says, hey, that's Jesus. He's he's my buddy. He's my friend.' He's my friend. Never thought about that, mm-hmm. and that was just very very interesting mindset. Yeah. So, yeah." You know, I, I think another area that is wide open to legalism, another area that encourages and invites a lot of legalism, is how to do family. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, the scriptural um, commands and passages on how to do family are very broad and general. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge and grant them honor as a joint heir of the grace of life and so on. Um, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's yeah. so broad. And so people are grappling and struggling with, what's that going to look like? How should my family do that? And gurus always come out with their books and their seminars and whatever and tell people, here's how to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the biblical family. Anytime it's the biblical something, yes. you know, yeah. my, my, my dander goes, yeah. goes wild. So um, the biblical way to be a husband is when you come home from work, uh, you ought to ignore the kids first, and you ought to talk to your wife first, because she comes before them. And right. all these rules and laws are made, and people suck it in because they're looking for how do I do this? Yeah. How do I make my family work? Uh, See, I just people- ignore everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I I would like to testify to that. Uh, Nathan ignores me on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. um, and. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I like that scripture is so broad on that and many other things because there are different times and cultures and peoples where family really is done very differently. Yes. Scripture is broad enough to accommodate all of that. Yeah, that, that is so true. Uh, Lisa and I were, uh, I guess I'll name names here, but we were reading the Growing Kids God's Way stuff. I was thinking of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll say. I mean, we, we were reading all that before our first was born. Uh-huh. Samantha came a month early. Uh, and again, this is just our experience. Again, and I don't want to sort of go a reverse legalism route and project that what we uh, felt everybody else should. But we uh, were convinced, okay, we, we read the book. Okay, um, you know, we don't want to sort of be a breastfeeding on demand family because we, we got the sense that was bad. That was worldly. Uh, and that was evil. So um, Sam came a month early, and she was jaundiced. She had a high bilirubin count. We had to take her back to the hospital three times. She was poked and prodded. It was the middle of winter. It was really, really terrible. Um, and I, I don't think Lisa would mind me saying, we've talked about this openly, that uh, she especially really struggles with a lot of guilt and frustration about that period of time because she felt, oh, I was living by an expectation. A book I read said, this is how you're supposed to do it. She felt she was actually denying her own instincts. Um, and I can't help but think that mothers raised children long before any of those books were written. Uh, <laughs> somehow. And somehow it happened. Uh-huh. Parent, you know, children were raised, different methods. All different ways. Different strategies, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Another one that comes up recently, um, a lot. Right before our podcast tonight, we were all talking about different forms of schooling. Uh, I've taught in Christian school, Steve. You've you, you've taught uh, as as well. Your kids have done the whole gamut, right? They've done private school, public school, homeschool yeah. as well. Homeschool as well. Uh, Nathan, that's sort of your background, right? Yeah. You're, you're a mixed bag, and so mm-hmm. we we can all kind of speak to those things. And um, I get a little concerned. Um, when I see people go on Facebook and certain things take on almost an apocalyptic biblical category. I mean, to me, if somebody wants to talk about faith or repentance, that's great. When I hear somebody putting the phrase common core on the same par, I see that all the time, the common core, which is this public school thing, which is almost saying this satanic, (laughs) evilly concocted way of ruining our children is so bad. And I, I, you know, there, there are areas in which that stuff becomes so on par with scripture that we don't even realize it. We, we speak about this. Uh, Mark, our, uh, our XP at our church, said he had a guy a few years ago uh, come up to him and say, you know, Mark, I'm just so concerned about the moral state of this country. He said with um, abortion, same-sex marriage, Obamacare. And, <laughs> you know, Mark said it sort of took him aback. Uh, and he uh-huh. said, uh, hey, we could talk about the first two yeah. from a biblical standpoint. And, and I think we could yeah. really... You know, look at that issue and see what the Bible says about it. it says, you know, the Obamacare. I do have personal feelings on that, and, and I'm. Yeah. And he said, I'm probably not the most thrilled with it. He said, I wouldn't put that on the same category. And the guy was shocked. Really, that he would not equate that with the moral degradation of the country. Yeah. So there's all sorts of ways this stuff yeah. can sort of sneak in. And yeah. you mentioned schooling, man. I've had people in our church who were militant homeschoolers, mm-hmm. but here's one that tops even the people I've had in our church. A guy in our church works with somebody in Virginia. This guy was in a church where if you send your kids to public school, they will initiate steps of church discipline against you. Wow. They believe you are handing your children over to the state and to the pagans and to the godless, and you you cannot do that. So prime example of legalism. And these are intelligent, biblical, Mm -hmm. theological people. It's a a statement to... uh, how much depravity reaches into our minds and yeah. still reaches into them even when we're Christ's people, huh? Wow. We can really yeah. think in bizarre ways. Yeah. Wow. And I thought I thought bizarrely. <laughs> See, yeah, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're making me feel so much more normal. Uh, thank you. Wow. 
Well, and that that actually leads us into our next topic with um, Christian celebrities, because every Christian big name out there has has something to talk about. I mean, James Dobson's all about the family, and people follow the quote unquote gospel according to James Dobson. Dave Ramsey has the biblical model for how to handle your finances, and so every Christian, not every Christian, but Christians flock to Dave Ramsey on how do I handle my finances biblically. Um, John Piper, I mean, you know, John Piper is great, spiritual, reformed, you know, all this stuff, but. Um, it's funny because Greg, you and I have been listening to the Happy Rant podcast. We've been listening to Barnabas Piper, who grew up obviously under John Piper and being his father, and he's got a different take on his father. Sure, you know he loves his father, but you know he's like, I, I do things completely different than my dad. Yes. Um, and so how do we how do we address that? How do we address the this whole celebrity, um, you know, Christian celebrity issue that is that is out there. Because quite frankly, I think one of the most liberating things for me, um, Joy and I have struggled with finances for a long time, simply be re- responsible college debt. We just have lots of it. Sure. And, you know, so starting in the hole, it's difficult to get out of the hole. Um, and, you know, all these people would give us these books, you know, mainly written by Dave Ramsey on how we can handle our finances. And I remember one day looking through these suggestions, just, you know, saying, you know what, maybe, maybe there is something that can help me out. Looking through the suggestions of things that I could do, things that I could cut out of my life, things that I didn't need and realizing I'm doing and cutting out even more things than what he's suggesting. And we still can't get out of this debt. Mm. And, and it dawning on me at that point that, you know what, maybe Dave Ramsey isn't the prophet for biblical finances right. in mm-hmm. America today. Mm-hmm. And so how would you guys respond to, to the Christian celebrity out there? Wow. I, I think, Steve, you would agree. I should probably be the only one to take this because I am among three of us, the celebrity. Which is I, mean, people... I noticed that in this room you have your chair up higher. Than <laughs> I do. I do. I, I enjoy looking down at you, Steve. And, and Nathan, you too. I, I just enjoy that. Uh, no, I mean, that is a, a huge subject. I'll, I'll start, um, with Piper because anybody that's heard me preach for any length of time knows I've, you know, like a lot of people, I've learned a lot from him. Um, I have also had some liberation in recent years. There, there, I'm beginning to separate things about Piper, the man, the Mm -hmm. man with clay feet, just like anybody else and his teaching and his preaching and even able to see, I think, I think this is fair, some things in his preaching just like in my own preaching, that, that may be a little bit more about him as the man. Uh, and Steve, I think you would say that. We, we can't help but let our personalities infect our preaching in some way yeah. um, all the time. So I don't say that critically about him, but I am. Um, it's interesting to ask me that right now, Nathan, because I would have said eight, nine years ago, yeah, I mean, technically I would have said all the right things. Piper's not a pope. Um, you know, he's, he's not an errant, he's not the Bible, he's not the voice, he would say that about himself. But practically speaking, yeah, whatever he said, yeah, just, just go with it. He's the mm-hmm. man. Yeah, he's the dude. <laughs> he is the dude. Um, I think, again, it, it does tie in nicely, uh, Nathan, as you said, with the legalism question. Mm-hmm. Because I think we are looking for concrete, tell me what to do, mm-hmm. how do I live as a, as a Christian in this world that's so difficult, where the complexity is facing me every day, give me a man who is solid and predictable and steady. Yeah. And there's a certain aspect in which, yes, that those are good qualities. Yeah. There's a uh, another sense which we can go too far. Yeah. Steve. 
Yeah, he was going to be the first person I, w I would mention on yeah. this topic. And uh, that because I think he's such a unique and powerful personality, such a unique character, that it tends to generate a kind of a, I don't, I don't use this word in a bad sense, but kind of a cult following. Yeah. I was at a, at a conference where a bunch of guys were speakers. Piper was one of the speakers. And then there were breakout sessions. And there was a, a time where you could go to this room and ask John Piper your questions in person. Yeah. And I think the world of John Piper, great guy. Sure. Yeah, don't misunderstand me. But I was a little surprised that all these young people crowded into that room, maybe 40, 50 young people, sitting on the floor, cross-leg, any space they could find. And the way they were all looking at him. Yeah. Like his words were going to be the law and the answer to their questions. Yeah. Kind of. Struck me wrong. Yeah. And, and I thought, uh, you know what I thought? I thought back to uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I'm of Paul, yeah. well, I'm of Apollos, well, I'm of mm -hmm. Cephas, well, I'm of Christ. And the Christ group probably the worst. They're saying, we don't follow any man. Yeah. Which means you follow yourself. Right, right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah, beware of those who only follow Christ. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, you know, that, that temptation, it's comforting for me to see that in 1 Corinthians 3, the temptation to follow a man because he answers your questions, he meets your needs, yeah. you fit with him, uh, you know, personality-wise or whatever it is. That temptation has been around for a long time, and it really scares me when I meet somebody, and I frequently do, and they listen all the time to one guy. Yes. They yeah. only listen to one guy. There might mm -hmm. be, uh, this is a real example, the Bible answer man. Sure. The only guy I listen to, the only guy I quote, the only guy I recommend is the Bible answer man. Well, the Bible Answer Man is lopsided because he's one man. Yeah. And if you only listen to the Bible Answer Man, guess what you're going to become? Yes. You're going to become lopsided. Yeah. So stop the you know personality cult worship. Listen to a bunch of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Know, balance him out with Alistair Begg or somebody. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Cool uh, accent too. Yeah. Cool <laughs> accent. Well, he could read the phone book. Oh yeah, absolutely. Dude. <laughs> now, wouldn't you love to have a, the, the guy's voices? I'd love to have his voice. Love to have Morgan Freeman's, yeah. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. These guys with these awesome voices. I mean, oh, mine, yeah. you guys would say mine's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, Mike helps. Um, yeah, Steve, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the um, – I've seen that same thing too, and it's – and I, I really see it in myself. I, I don't know what that is. When I was a young Christian, my guy at the time was uh, Johnny Mac, John MacArthur. You know, I, I had a big John MacArthur phase. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of guys did. I don't know if you got the tape, Steve. I was oh, I on did. his tape lending library. Yes. Yes. And I probably listened to a thousand MacArthur yeah. sermons. And yeah, and I, I would say I benefited. And a lot of that I've retained. Uh, Grew got a, got a good working knowledge of sort of the New Testament canon. And Absolutely. I'm thankful. Yes, yeah. yes. But he is a man. Just one man, yeah, man, and you know he's he's a sinner like the rest of us, and uh, I, I think that's wise to to listen to a variety of people. And I'm, I'm I haven't mastered this by any means, but I'm expanding my horizons mm -hmm. a little bit, Nathan. And by the way, bro, I would recommend for you, uh, Dave Ramsey has a simulcast <laughs> coming up. And you know what is that, guys? What I want to know: where is the guild that decides who gets the mantle? Because am yeah. I right? Years ago, it was Larry Burkett. Ron Blue was always kind of, I viewed his heir apparent. Yeah. Somehow he got passed over and it landed on Dave Ramsey. Wow. Uh, and, you know, and I, I don't mean to mock that. I'm sure there's right. some good principles. But last week uh, we talked, Steve, a little bit when Matt Smith was here. Um, and, and we keep touching into this. I call it the Bible is a book of manuals kind of Christianity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That there's a sense that the Bible has a manual on money. And yeah. Dave Ramsey's the guy that can point out where that manual is. Yeah, or uh, years ago, I was talking with uh, somebody this week about Josh Harris. Remember early 2000s? Dude, mm -hmm. I mean, I kissed dating goodbye. That just ran right up the flagpole. 
And I remember talking to people that literally, literally, I, I kid you not, asked me, where could they study the issue of courtship in the Bible? Yes. And I would say, well, you could talk about like Pharaoh had a court and uh, you know, things <laughs> like that. My favorite is, yeah. it's the one where in Israel, the guy, the one tribe, the guys didn't have wives. Yeah. And they were told to go over and look at the other tribe and their women were dancing around the fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jump out of the bushes, grab a woman and take her home and she's your wife. Right. That is the biblical. Right. That is the way. Well, I mean, Steve, that is how you met Debbie. Yeah. Well, right. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lisa was dancing. Uh, I grabbed her, just took her, made her my wife. Hair, and right? uh, Yeah. Just just like that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I heard Josh Harrison, 01, 02. It was an early conference in Philadelphia somewhere. And even then, and... Yeah, this is my take on him. He was distancing himself, in my opinion, a little bit from some of the the, the, the way he was received. Some of mm-hmm. his followers. Yes, yeah. who he said, look, I mean, you can call it courtship, yeah, you can call it dating, you can call right. it whatever you want. Yeah. It's not and the issue. No, and, and he even said there were serial quarters that he knew of that had courted all the girls in one church and moved <laughs> on to the next. <laughs> you know, but we, we want, oh, oh, this, this is going to help me raise my kids. Yeah. Yeah. They can't date. And as long as you don't use the word dating, you're okay. Yes. If you use the word courtship, you're whatever it means, whatever it looks like. Yes. It's yeah. kind of silly. Yeah, and then you think there's cultures. I mean, I went to uh, I went to seminary with a dude, uh, Gabriel Kiyongu, who is in um, in Kenya now. I believe he's still there. Great guy, great follower of Christ. Had an arranged marriage. It was his culture. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. my cup of tea, right? Uh, you know, and I feel for the woman that was would ever be arranged into a marriage that you know at least Lisa had some say. She can blame herself, <laughs> but um, you know, my word, uh, this it works. So I mean, there there are these different cultures, different approaches. Whether it's dating, etc., the heart is always the issue, not yeah. not you know not yeah. the label. Yeah. You know, going back earlier, before you guys were born, I was I was around, and uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I went I went off to Bible college as a brand new Christian. I knew very little. I'd memorized a few Bible verses and thought I was amazing, you know. But um, when I got to that Bible college, just about everybody had. A, a Bible. It was a Schofield reference. Oh Bible, yes, right? yes. So this great Bible teacher, and he was great yep. man of God, Schofield. Uh, and and they had his notes at the bottom of the page. And any question that would come up about a text, they'd all go to his notes. And I don't know how, but somehow from the very beginning, I thought, no, I don't like that. I, yeah. I don't want any guy's notes. I have study Bibles now, but I don't. At the right. bottom of the page, that I might. Yeah, I always say that to to younger believers, you know, because I, I always say it, it's such a tricky thing. I said a study Bible is a great thing because they're growing. They're going to have questions. Hey, what what does this mean? What is this? Ter- what is propitiation? I don't I know what that myself. is. Yep. And it can help to have those notes. But I always tell them, hey, you know, the, the notes. Make sure that they they are always the notes. And there are study Bibles that have a whole bunch of guys contributing to those notes. Yes, I, I'm down with that. Yeah. But when it's one guy, I know what you mean. Everything down there is what he said about yeah. the Bible. Yeah. I get nervous about that. I know. Yeah. I know. Same here. Although. Uh, I would like to uh, take a little time for our first sponsor. The Dutcher Study Bible is coming out <laughs> uh, next week. I'm and, not buying one. Yeah, dude, it's got I'm great stuff it. in it. Uh, now I've got other so, voices. So I've got my if, sons. if it's the Dutcher Study Bible that's sponsoring us, does that mean we're going out of business? Yeah, <laughs> soon, soon, soon as somebody buys it and reads it, we're definitely going out of business. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a great example. You know, I, and I know what you mean. The one man Study Bible, you know, it it can make you a little bit nervous. So, so would it be fair to say that, um, you know, again, because, because we want to be holy and we do need guidance, we do need direction. I mean, you know, when Christ was here, we have his living example of how to live, but he also left the apostles here in order to help, you know, guide and train up the church, you know, and, and now the church is here, we have the pastors and the elders and the deacons, you know, we've kind of, you know, broken that up. So, the, so 
as believers, we do need guidance. We do need acceptance and, you know, or we do need help and direction in our faith and in our walk. So would it be fair to say that, you know, things, uh, let's look at the study Bible, for example, looking at a study Bible, getting help on context, getting help on definitions, getting help on um, historical accuracy of things is, is a great, you know, use for a study Bible. But when it comes to somebody, their personal opinion on Scripture, we should be taking that with a grain of salt at that point. Sure, sure. And, and I think always the, the idea of the Christian learning, just ask good questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ask good questions. I mean, it, it's humbling sometimes, Steve. I don't know if you're, you've ever been in that spot. I have. I, I lead a group of guys Wednesday uh, who are senior citizens mostly. Some of these guys are veteran believers, been at it for 50 years. Some of the guys are new. Even some of the new guys will ask a question sometimes, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't have an answer to that. You know, mm-hmm. and I used to feel very threatened by that because the pastor, you know, has a master of divinity, right? Because if, if there is, could there be a more ridiculous title for a degree? A master of divinity. <laughs> Somebody has actually mastered divinity. Yes, huh? yes. <laughs> I mastered divinity when I was twenty-four because um, I took so you know. Yes, this this sheet tells me that I mastered it. So I used to feel threatened by that. Now I'm learning. It's incredibly liberating to say, "Wow, I have no idea. I've never know, even thought man. of that." Uh-huh. Because it shows that you're growing, I'm growing, and thank you for asking me that. I'm going to go look into this and 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 really research it, because um, I think that will always make sure uh, to the listener that you know what's your opinion, uh, what do you know, what don't you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I think when we hit those areas where there's great debate, I, I don't know if you feel this, Steve. I feel that we as pastors have pretty much an obligation to say, hey, I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I believe it passionately. I'm also going to tell you that there's a number of other people that are going to have a totally different take on this subject. People who hold an equally high view of Scripture. So let's take that yes. serious. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the whole issue of the millennium, the Antichrist, the rapture. You know, I um, in Lisa's family, her extended family, that predominantly has sort of a you know, premillennial kind of dispensational background, they were asking me questions years ago at Christmas. Uh, hey, Greg, what do you think about the Antichrist? You know, could he rise in the Middle East? Or do you think he might be even here in the U.S.? Could he be a U.S. president? Lisa interrupted everything and said, hold on, everybody. I just want to tell you, um, Greg's views on the end times are extremely boring. Um, she goes, like, all these, like, sexy questions that you want answers to, you you, you won't get. Greg has about three points. Right? Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. There will be judgment. There'll be judgment. There's heaven and there's hell. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's my eschatology in a nutshell. And I and I know, Steve, you, you've probably got a very definitive background. I know where you went to school. Yeah. And I don't know if you've still, we don't need to get into that, held on to that. Uh, I've had some root canals since then. Yeah, okay, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, you've gotten in deep with you on that. Yeah. But if there's an example to say, I mean, my word, if there's a subject, I hear some guys sometimes that'll teach on that subject, and that bothers me because it, it, it happens in church where somebody say, hey, did you hear so-and-so's teaching on the book of Revelation? Did you hear so-and-so's teaching on the book yeah. of Daniel? They lay out a very particular end times theology. Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah. And I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's orthodox. It's solid. A lot of great Christians have believed that. Mm-hmm. That might even be the reigning queen in today's day and age. I'm always a little discouraged that those preachers don't say a little more, hey, by the way, you went back to you know 500 years ago, Calvin would say this, Luther would say this, yeah. Wesley would say this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's a responsibility to, to let the yes. believers know. Yeah. Yes. That In fact, I think we lack humility if we don't do that. It's kind of arrogant to say, yeah. you know, this is my view, I hold it, you ought to believe it, when a whole lot of believers on the earth today and a whole lot of believers in previous church history did not hold that view. Uh, the arrogance thing, by the way, comes out in the First Corinthians text where they were 
they had the cult, you know, the personality cult. I'm yeah. of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Peter, and I'm of Christ. Uh, it's interesting. Paul says to them, you guys are acting like you're carnal, you're acting like the world, and you're puffed up. It's a Greek verb that's onomata poetic. It's fousiao. Fou, 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 fou. You're puffed yeah. up. Yeah. So uh, that was the root of their problem. It's pride, probably, that makes me want to say, well, I, I'm in touch with the man. Yeah. You know, like, let's say it's the Bible answer, man. I follow him. He's the man. And since I'm in, I'm the club there, I'm, I'm one of the man's men. Yeah. So it's pride. Like, I'm with it. I'm in it. And part of Paul's corrective to the whole thing was to point out, all these guys are yours. Yeah. Peter's mm-hmm. yours, and Paul's yours, and, yeah. you know, and Apollos is yours, and Christ is yours. So you ought to be taking advantage of all of them and learn from all of them. Yeah. In church history... And all over the planet today. Yeah, great point, Steve. Great. Yeah, that's. Um, by the way, when you were doing that puff thing, dude, did you see? I mean, Steve's cheeks were oh, puffing. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish that was a vodcast so you could see that. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Dude. Well, that's one of the reasons that. Um, you know, I know of churches. I know some mega churches that have multiple preachers that purposely do not publish their upcoming speaker list. Which one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the people don't say, oh, I'm going that day. Exactly. Uh-huh. Because, and I remember I was at one of these uh, large churches where one of the pastors challenged that notion and, and um, challenged me too. Because, you know, like everybody, I had my favorite. When I go to a conference, you know, I'll have my favorite, you know, that I really want to hear. Um, but I remember he said, so is your faith so small? Do you believe that the guy that's not your favorite, that God can't speak mm-hmm. through him? Uh-huh. There's not one thing he could share that might resonate with your heart from the scripture? And I thought, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so the fact the church has been wrestling with this from the first century, no shock that we still yeah. are. Yeah. Some churches have preaching teams. Yeah. And, but then somebody else reacts legalistically and says, well, that's the biblical way to do it. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. But no, it's not. You might have one guy who does most or all of the preaching. Sure. And yeah. Definitely. Uh-huh. Definitely. How, how much do you preach, Steve, at Trinity? I'm probably uh, 90, 95% of it. I thought so, yep. Yeah, you too? Yep, yep, yep. Same here, same here. And Nathan, you'd say you're blessed richly because of it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Good, good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that the other, the little people, Steve, That's that right. sometimes don't have some things to say. Right. Uh-huh. No, I, uh, there, there are many times where, like, we have a visitor that comes back for the second time. And we realized, well, it was a great week because Greg wasn't preaching. So, you know, that's what yeah. we do. You know, the Lord has ways of keeping you humble. Like, like I'm preaching all the time and all the time. And now and then somebody says, hey, that, that wasn't bad. It was okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, and I'm thankful for that. And then one of our other guys, let's say Brent on our staff, will preach. And then Facebook lights up. Awesome yeah. sermon, Pastor. <laughs> oh, yeah. and all. So yeah. I realized, okay, they need him too. Yes. Yeah. Now you know why I deactivated my Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't take that. Right? Yeah, no, couldn't take the rejection. Monday morning wow. blues. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So going into um, our, our final topic for tonight, um, education. Greg, you talked about, you know, you have Master of Divinity. Um, and America has just placed such an importance on education and you needing to have a degree, a certificate, a piece of paper that says you are, quote unquote, qualified to be able to do whatever the task is at hand, whether it's um, preach the word of God, whether it's, you know, become an auto mechanic, whether it's teach in schools. Um, There's such an emphasis. And I think um, Christians have also adopted that philosophy. Um, You know, you look at the way that Christians, Christian universities have gone and, you know, they're, they're all trying to up and get better and better and better and offer these programs and that program. And, you know, just so that you can quote unquote, have the degree and the certificate. Do you think it's essential to have all this formal education in order to do, um, I mean, let's start with 
first of all, preaching the word of God, because that is the most important thing. Um, but second, to, to do anything, really. I mean, do you, do you, where do you place the value on that education, that degree, that certificate? Yeah, it's, it's a timely question right now because we are searching for a pastor, you know, a, mm-hmm. a youth and family life pastor right now, and, and we're sort of at the beginning uh, stages of that search. We have maybe four or five candidates uh, that have really sort of stood out, and we're just beginning to set up some preliminary interviews and that sort of thing. Um, we have listed on our search stuff, you know, um, seminary training preferred, not required, we actually even debated saying biblical training preferred, not required, because there might be some guys that have Bible college or some Bible college or an institute or something like that. Uh, it's tricky because my path, uh, I benefited greatly from seminary. Yeah, me um, too. yeah and I know Steve, we're both, you know, Absolutely. probably. So, all things being equal, I think seminary is a great thing. I think uh, to have a period of your life, two or three years out, where you really concentrate on the Word of God. I've never had a time that focused since then mm-hmm. um, as I did then. I mean, it was a neat time. We didn't have kids at that time, Steve. I don't know if you did when you were in school. Yeah. You did. Wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. so you, you were juggling. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, Greek with uh, newborn babies and spit up and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> 2 a.m. and, oh, and yeah. exam at 7. Yes, yes, and we were complaining because all of our friends at that time were having babies, and God just said no at that point. Uh, we weren't, and now we look back and say, wow, how awesome that we didn't have any babies. Us, yeah. yeah, he did, because, you know, Lisa was a nurse. She was working night shifts, so pretty much every night, 7 to midnight, I knew i I, I got to work my butt off because mm-hmm. when uh, the few hours I get with Lisa, you know, I don't want to be doing work. Um, so it was a great benefit. At the same time, you know, you look historically, I mean, there could be a young 21st century Spurgeon type guy out there who was mm-hmm. self-educated, really. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to say? Now nah, we're not going to consider that dude because he hasn't gone to the right school, hasn't gotten the right mm-hmm. degree, etc. So I would say all things being equal, it's a tremendous help. I do think, uh, in general, we've talked about this a lot, Nathan. I know you've yeah. got very strong views on education. Oh, yeah. Which I like because they're strong. And, <laughs> and sometimes I think, do, man, do I even feel this way Nathan does? But, but they're, they're very provocative. Um, I do think that uh, I've seen, like we were talking about Dave Ramsey earlier. Yeah. Families that are the most Ramsey-like of any Christians I know, that every single penny is accounted for. Uh, on entertainment to tithing and tithing on the gross and the, all those things we talked about last week. Yep. They've got everything planned. When it comes to education, a lot of that for certain families goes out the window and it almost just seems like, well, having a, a stellar, expensive college education is a must. Yeah. So people that would never even think of getting a new car, because that's sinful, you know, to get a five-year note on a car, uh, will unhesitatingly do the same with college. Yeah. Um, and I say, why? Do, right. Is it necessary? Uh, maybe your kid shouldn't go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe he should go to you know, the community college and then see what his options are. I do think there's almost an unhealthy preoccupation with formal education that can sometimes be unhelpful uh, if it's not really honed yeah. uh, with a purpose and a goal. Well, I don't know, Steve. What do you think? 
Yeah, I'm like you. I, I really value, I'm really thankful for the background I had. I went to four years of a Bible college, got a lot of great teaching there, followed that up immediately with three years of a seminary, which I packed into five years. Wow. Because I was a father, I was a husband. Yeah. I was working uh, often afternoons as a groundsman and nights at United Parcel and squeezing, studying in wow. between and so on. So it took me five years to get through a three-year program. But it was of immense value to me. And I, I kind of feel bad for any guy who's in ministry now and didn't have that kind of opportunity yep. because it accelerates your learning so greatly, right? It forces you to, to move ahead quickly. Uh, on the other hand, you mentioned Spurgeon, and we could think of contemporary guys who do not have any real formal theological training who are doing fantastic jobs at ministry. Sure. Uh, so so you know, we can't say the education is required. Uh, even nowadays, it's easier to get educations in other ways, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Online this and mm, online yeah. that. You can go to RTS and listen to everything they've got free sure. and so on and so forth. So uh, that helps. But I think if you're a young guy and you don't have a lot of experience, you're going to need something to get started. And the piece of paper can really help. Yeah. If you're a little older, maybe, or even if you're young, but you have experience, your experience can speak for itself. Yeah. Uh, so the experience is the most important thing. Yeah, right? yeah. If I'm looking for a guy to go on our staff, I want to know what have you done. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know where he went to school. If he's sure. wet behind the ears, I really want to know where did you learn. Right. But uh, I'd prefer to know I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. Oh, good. That's what we want done here. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, and I've often thought, guys, I would be a much better seminary student now because I would yeah. ask better questions. Yeah. Like the questions I was asking when I was 25 were, uh, you know, it's a little cliche, but the super lapsarian, infralapsarian yeah. stuff, which is such a burning issue in people's lives, <laughs> um, you know, that I had to know those things that every Christian is asking, you know, every struggling wife in a difficult marriage mm -hmm. is asking that question. And, you know, obviously I'm being incredibly sarcastic. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right. I had the benefit of being a pastor for the last three years while I was in seminary. Oh, yeah. And I thought it made a dramatic difference between what I got out of classes and what some of my classmates got out of classes. Yes. And I can remember one day my Hebrew professor, great man, great. Do you, Dr. Heater? Do you know? Oh, sure, sure. Homer Heater. Homer Heater was up front, and he was expounding on some Hebrew verb, and he was saying, you know, if you tell your people about things like this, it will just, it'll change your ministry. And I thought, yeah, it would yeah. really change it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's I'm right. a pastor. I got people. It isn't going to walk. Yeah. Yes, yes. Steve, did you ever have Dave Shive as a teacher? I did not. Well, I knew that's... him as a guy on campus. I knew that's why you were a good preacher. That's good. <laughs> because, I mean, I, will like that. Uh, I, I am thankful that I never had Dave Shive as a teacher. Either. <laughs> um, yeah, we're setting him up for his arrival here. Uh, yes, absolutely. See, I wish that I had had that experience. I, I asked questions I thought were going to be very helpful in ministry, and maybe one out of every ten was. Hmm. I remember when I was uh, at my first church, a year into it, we had a missionary on the field who um, uh, was with a particular agency that did not allow him, by their policy, to marry a national. He was in, uh, he was in the country of Nepal. Mm. Fell in love with a girl there, was a committed Christian. Um, he, was, he became frustrated with that agency. He thought that they were being legalistic, legalistic rigid, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, this was kind of in the early days of the Internet. This is 97, so, you know, we didn't have quite the capability we do with FaceTime and Skype and all this that we have now. This is largely through email. And I remember feeling people looking to me, 27-year-old young pastor, how we saw this. I'm thinking, okay, what do we do? we got a missionary on the field who wants to leave his agency. Um, I never asked that question in seminary, but I would now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would totally ask that now because uh, yeah. I had – 
Uh, George Clark was a great missions guy. He'd been in Lebanon for 12 years in the 70s and early 80s. Um, who probably would have great wisdom, but when I had his classes, I was asking him about the theology of God's sovereignty and world mission and you know, things that have a place, but not something as eminently practical as that. So, yep. you know, I, I, I've recently told people when young guys talk to me about wanting to go to seminary, um, you know, I, I feel like I burst their bubble a little bit. I say, you know, I think it's great if you get some secular work experience. So yes. I'm not saying that's what God is telling you to do, right. but I was just a, a Bible brat. You know, I went right from Towson as an English major into seminary, right into church ministry. And I've often thought, man, if I could have just rubbed elbows with some folks in a quote-unquote secular work environment for Real several world. years, so much able to better minister to my folks here that are experiencing mm-hmm. that every day. Yeah. So would it be good to say then uh, that it's education is most certainly important? Um, and I, I think there's no doubt about that, but maybe um, you should always be continuing your education no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, so that you're constantly studying and learning. So if you decide, hey, you know what, I'm not going to go and get that formal degree in training, um, but you know what, I'm going to be like Spurgeon. I yeah. want to learn. I want to grow. I want to do more. And I think you guys would be both be prime examples. You've got your degrees, but every week you're constantly having to grow and learn more about scripture so that you can so that you can teach and preach and guide the congregation yeah. is that fair no yeah. i think that's one of the things that that piece of paper does stand for it kind of says to anybody looking at him this guy is capable of learning mm-hmm. he's capable of mastering topics and getting good grades and so on so he'll keep on learning when he's in our pulpit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to embarrass Steve, but you know, Steve calls me every week, Nathan, to, for my sermon <laughs> advice. <laughs> what and, should I do uh, about this? What, 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 how does he deal with the exegetical uh-huh. points of this passage? And yeah, Steve, I, I don't want to embarrass you, brother. And I, you know, he sort of looks to me for that. So and he's then I preach that stuff, and no one agrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, well, that's why I give it to you, brother. You know, you I give it to up, Steve, and that way, when I meet these people that are disenfranchised, uh-huh. I say, you know, you ought to come to Christ. Come Fellowship. to our church. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll straighten all our that stuff wins. out. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm with it, dude. Continuing learning, 100%. You know, always learning. I mean, I, I sometimes feel like I need to go back to freshman year of college, start over. And I think that's a healthy desire, mm-hmm. that we're always growing. Our paradigms are always being shaped and challenged. And absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. So we want to thank you for listening. Steve, thanks for joining us on the uh, podcast. Look Pleasure. forward to seeing you next month. And Greg, we just rock the Casbah. Consider the Casbah rock. These go to 11.